morning again. Sorry, I know it looks like I'm reading the phone, but um, I've just got pointed out that Pete done has been cheeky. So I've just got to read what he said. So he's got 20 bits of spiral pasta, one metre of stretchy blue tack, and a metre of blue ribbon and a chalk chip. <laughs> Give it a go, Peter. <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I don't know how you're going to get a chalk chip to stay on the top, but that's awesome. Oh. So good morning again. <laughs> Thank you, Randall. Not morning, Yes. Thank you for this morning, Randall. This morning has been very good. So I love the intergenerational aspect of dad jokes. And then coming to how you've just left us now. Um, fantastic morning, buddy. Oh, in a moment, we're going to see what's happening <laughs> in those other rooms. They're doing really well. Um, I'm impressed. Um, I don't know who's going to win this one. So I've seen both towers at where they're at at this point. And, yep, I don't know who's going to win. It depends on... Uh, each team has their strengths and weaknesses, so I'm intrigued to see who's going to win this one. And we're trying to get the photos up on here so you can see as well, so that you can see the um, see how it's going. This week, we're going to look at our final value here at Kwan Life. And that value is innovation. I hope something's making sense in your head why I've sent these people out to do something today just by saying that word. Um, innovation, and on, the, on our... Um, let me just read what this says. <laughs> Responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit in effectively communicating and demonstrating the unchanging gospel in an ever-changing world. I think that's a fantastic thing to have as one of our values. But the problem is when I come to the Bible and say, Bible, what do you say about innovation? It says nothing. <laughs> the word innovation does not appear in your Bible. Um, it doesn't appear about God. It doesn't appear about Jesus. It doesn't appear about anybody else. The, the word innovation doesn't appear in your Bible because after doing some geeky language word stuff, I found that the word only originated in the 15th century. So a word that's only 600 years old is not going to appear in a text that's over 2,000 years old. But basically the word innovation means a novel change, a new thing in an established arrangement. And I want to put it to you today that Yahweh, our God, has been called many things. He's been called the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, the God of Gods, and today, the innovator of innovators. While the Bible doesn't use the word innovation, it does talk about an innovative God. So on page one of the Bible, we read that the earth was tohu vavohu. And I say that because it's very poetic. So we've tried to translate that poeticness to wild and waste. It was formless and void. And it was God the Holy Spirit who hovered over the waters and began to bring order into chaos. Other origin stories of the creation of the, of the world depict the gods at war with each other and, and humanity kind of being an afterthought and they were there for serving God. They were servants and that was their place. <laughs> but our God brings order to the world 
And there's no fighting between gods. He just creates it. He doesn't need to fight with the other gods because there are none. And he creates this world where humans aren't just the servants of the gods. They're, they're the pinnacle of his creation. He's, he's put his image into humanity. God creates hu- humans who are creative. The innovative God creates innovative people. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God's innovative hand at work. He's continually bringing novel change to the established ways of humans. How many times does God choose the second-born son or a subsequent son as the one whom his line will go through when the established way was the first-born son? God didn't obey that. And sometimes God's people are so insistent on following the established ways, they can't get around it. Why did Israel have a king? Because Israel demanded it pretty much and said, no, 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 we know you're our king, but we want a human king as well. God was doing things differently and wanted them to see him as their king. But they wanted to have a king like everybody else. But God warned them. He said, if you take a king, he will do these things. And this is what God says that the king will do. He said, the the king will come and reign over you, will claim his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war. And it goes on. He said, don't do this because it's not the best way. God was trying to be innovative and the thing that held him back was our humanity wanting to stay with, no, we like the established ways, thank you very much, and we want that king there for us. God's way was too innovative for Israel. How would, how would other people know that God's their king? It's not possible. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, and what did, oh, where did it go? I skipped too much, didn't I? Whoa, don't skip that much. In the, <laughs> moving to the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene. The established order was waiting for the Messiah to come and that Messiah would come and wipe out Rome. And they would make Israel's enemies their footstool. And God, in the act of brilliant innovation, doesn't just send a Messiah. He comes into the earth himself in the form of a human. That was not what we were expecting. The mystery of Jesus being fully God and fully man has continued to baffle theologians and and philosophers for thousands of years. But God's Messiah was not just a chosen human. God's Messiah was God himself, come as a man. In churches we use the word incarnation to describe this. And what did God the Son do while he was on earth? Did he destroy Rome? Well, not the way that was expected or hoped. Did he bring with him the new kingdom where Israel would be the powerful ones? So no more they'd be subject to Rome. They would be the powerful ones. 
No, not really. God's innovation again confused people. He, be, he came talking about serving others and justice for the poor and the, the marginalized and those without a voice, about giving up ourselves, about dying to self. He came to pay the ransom. He came to die and pay the ransom for human sin. None of this was the way they were expecting things to go. But it was the only way for God to achieve what needed to be done. And all of it was written in the scriptures. <laughs> Israel had this in their scriptures and it was there. They just didn't read that bit because that bit was a bit hard. So Jesus broke through this established order of the way things should be or how humans thought things should be and he brought in the kingdom of God crashing into this world while this present evil age still exists so we can enter the kingdom of God now. But if you look around, <laughs> we're still in this present evil age. Injustices abound. Um, this world, the sin in this world is still impacting this world. It's a lucky thing that Jesus did it this way, though, because if Jesus didn't do it the way he's done it, you and I wouldn't be a part of the people of God. So it was because Jesus was innovative, or God was innovative, and through coming to earth as, as the Messiah, he enabled us to be a part of his kingdom. Jesus did things differently. He didn't even heal people the same time, same way every time. Sometimes he touched people. Sometimes he wasn't even in the same place and he healed them from a distance. I don't know if you guys are watching The Chosen. We, we've been watching The Chosen together as a family recently and the, the disciples were amazed at this. Like he's laying in bed and Jesus is just smiling and the disciple says, what are you smiling about? And he says, I, I know that there's a family this morning who's having a, a pretty good morning <laughs> because he just healed a man's legs and this man was dancing around his home. And, and the disciple was going, you don't even have to be present to heal them. Sometimes he said, your faith has made you well. Sometimes there was one case where a man had, a faith, had faith in water, in a pool of water. He couldn't get into the water. He's going, if I get there, I can be healed. And Jesus heals him even though his faith was in the water. The man's faith wasn't in Jesus. He doesn't do the same thing every time. Jesus heals so many different ways in the Bible. And Jesus' followers picked up on this innovation. The apostles spread the message far and wide, but they didn't do the same thing either. The message was clear, but their method was different. They stood on the streets and preached. They went to synagogues and argued. And on one occasion, Paul enters Athens and he sees, he sees an idol to an unknown God. And so Paul goes, all right, you worship an unknown God. I reckon I know who that God is. And he says to them, Paul then stood up in the meeting of, of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. I think that's fantastic. He used what they knew. 
and explain to them from their own poets and their own idols. And now it's been passed to us. So we have the message, the good news, the gospel. Jesus proclaimed it. He passed it to his apostles. And they've passed it to other people. And a couple of thousand years later, the message has been passed on to us in Kiwana Life on the Sunshine Coast of Australia. <laughs> How far has the message already travelled? Now, where's my teams? <laughs> did, did we get photos? It's working through up the back there. They're working hard. There we go. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Wow. Uh, can you quite see that one? So. Ah. Uh, is yours still standing? <laughs> no, we don't need a photo. No, no, no. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but it isn't standing. Ah, oh, okay. It was till we messed with it. Oh, you messed with it. <laughs> I love it. That was a great shot. <laughs> <laughs> just, but Graham's down there holding the, the thing just there, isn't he? <laughs> That's, I honestly had no idea how that... I, I had in my mind that it was quite possible that there would be no towers to show photos of. <laughs> and as I walked around the teams, in the first five minutes when I walked out here, I walked up there and I thought... Yep, it's possible <laughs> there won't be any, any um, towers. But <laughs> this experiment is to show you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Just put it beside there to see if it is. It... Oh, okay. Ah, look at that. I'm I'm impressed. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. So this experiment is done to show that to to innovate you need to try things new. And this experiment has been done a lot over the last number of years. And interestingly, People who are recent graduates of business school don't do very well. There's another group of, another cohort that does the best. Does anyone want to guess, what's that? Engineers? Engineers do do very well, but they're trained, they're trained a bit, and hopefully engineers will do. So take engineers out whose job it is to do this sort of thing. What group do you reckon is probably the next best? Kids? What's that? Arts. Oh, those in the arts. Yeah, because they, they would use the engineering skills to, to do that. That's right. I've got, yeah, I was distracted by that point. <laughs> um, kids. 
So they find their kindergarten kids are really good at this because they just get straight into doing it. So they try and make something, and so they start with the marshmallow, and they make a tower that holds the marshmallow and go, good, that works. Now, like these guys are saying, we've got five minutes to go. They had the prototype, theirs was working. Kindergarten kids start with that and go, okay, we've made this one. Then they go, okay, we can get it this high. And so they've got the second prototype that's just there. And then they just keep on building, but they've always got the marshmallow. They, they don't put the marshmallow on at last. They always work with the marshmallow to hold the marshmallow and make sure each structure holds the marshmallow there. Whereas business graduates, they go, um, well, this is my skill set and this is what we need to do. And they, they try and work out the correct path before they start walking. And so they get to the end of the, the um, experiment and they go, we've got to get the marshmallow on top. And obviously, <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't got anything to put the marshmallow on. And so they go, well, that, that, that didn't work. And then they'll blame something. They won't blame themselves. <laughs> the, the kindergarten kids start with the marshmallow. And I think that's the, the point I want to take away from it. They get prototypes and they work with the prototype and say, this prototype works. And then they build on that prototype. So what does this have to do with us? I'm thinking, you guys are going, oh man, he's gone. He's lost it today. <laughs> it might be true. Um, next week, we won't have a nine o'clock service. And we won't have an 11 o'clock service. We'll have a 9, 9.30 service. We have two prototypes and we know that those prototypes work. And we're trying to build on what we've learned from those prototypes. So what's our marshmallow? Jesus? Worship? Okay, the people that should know this, the people in our, our church family, what's, what's our vision? So our marshmallow here at Kwan Life is being an intergenerational family, being transformed into the likeness of Christ, impacting others with his love. We've got two services and two prototypes right now that do that. And we're going to build on that and we're going to try and take the things we've learned from the 9am service and the 11am service and we're going to build something bigger and better and than we have with either of those two. And over the next few months, we're going to do things like this. New, uncomfortable. Maybe this didn't work this morning, I don't know. <laughs> I'll hear the complaints or I'll hear the, the thank yous later. <laughs> but we're going to try things new. We're going to try things we've already tried, but we're also going to try things we haven't tried before because of what we've already learned. But I want to do it with the attitude of a kindergarten child rather than a business graduate. So I want to say, we, this worked. <laughs> we've done well. We've done something here. What can we, how can we make it that bit taller? One researcher who's used this um, challenge in his study put it this way. Design or innovation is a contact sport. It demands that we bring all of our senses to the task and that we apply the very best of our thinking, our feeling, our doing to the challenge that we have at hand. Let me read you that again. I want you to see if it reminds you of something, because it did remind me of something. Design or innovation is a contact sport. It demands that we bring all of our senses to the task, and that we 
we apply the very best of our thinking, of our feeling and of our doing to the challenge we have at hand. I want to finish with this challenge to you. I want to ask that you come on this journey with us to bring all of your senses and the best of your thinking to this task of becoming an intergenerational family being transformed into the likeness of Christ, impacting others with his love. Because I reckon that quote from Tom Wujik, who's done the studies, sounds a lot like Jesus' teaching. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments.